0: Hi, I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And folks, I love being a comic and an actor and a writer, but there's nothing I love better than this show, The Larry Miller Show, the best podcast in history. Come join us and tell a friend where better podcasts are found or on LarryMillerPodcast.com.
1: Hey, you guys, the episode with Chris Hardwick is about to start. But first, I want to tell you guys about Me Undies. They are introducing their All of Me collection, which is just for women, a four piece line of underwear designed specifically for the female body. Me Undies is the most comfortable underwear made from the softest materials. They have the most perfect thong, brief, boy short and bikini, perfect for whatever you do. Lazing, dancing, taking over the world, podcasting, free shipping inside the USA for 20% off your first order, go to MeUndies.com slash Allison. Again, that's MeUndies.com slash Allison for super, super duper comfortable underwear that you will never want to take off. Okay, here's the episode. Here we go.
2: Allison, Rosen, Allison, Rosen is your new best friend. Allison, your new best friend
1: everyone. Hi. Hello. It is me, Allison Rosen, and I am sitting here in Dining Room Studios with Chris Hardwick.
0: Can I just say that I greatly approve of the tight harmonies on your theme song?
1: Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. I will relay the message to Trap Dog, who creates all the music on the show and is super talented. And I think we'll probably be on cloud nine hearing that. And (laughs) I agree.
0: Well, yes. uh, Trap Dog. uh, Good work. Good work. (laughs) Good work. Good work.
1: (laughs) Nice. Ah, my whole soul just lit up hearing that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was just trying to just trying to make it fun. I, I went on a uh, I don't, you don't care about this. Yeah, I do. All right.
1: I mean I might, I don't know yet.
0: I, I went down a uh I went down a Mo Howard <laughs> rabbit hole the other night because it occurred to me that at the time where I was heavily watching the Stooges, there was no internet and so I didn't know anything about him personally, and i had only heard stories. And it turns out he was a fascinating guy. And uh, I, I, so when I did, hello, 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 I made me think of the Three Stooges, <laughs> right? And, uh, he, and they're all dead.
1: You know, you know what rabbit hole I went down last night? It was very... Rabbits? S- no.
0: Oh, you should not watch Rabbits? What? It'd be funny if you went down a rabbit hole just about rabbits.
1: That would be. Actually, two rabbit hole thoughts. Okay. And you know what happens with two rabbit hole thoughts? Pretty soon you have like... 45 45 yeah they thoughts. just they yeah. just multiply, multiply quickly i was actually thinking why do we refer to it as going down a rabbit hole because what really happens down in a rabbit hole i feel like it's really just a, a very small
0: crevice a lot of rabbit <laughs> fucking and yeah. sucking i don't know i'm sorry i don't know right. why it's like
1: a rabbit porn site should be called rabbit hole <laughs> the
0: rabbit hole the, well rule 34 that's already exists somewhere and yeah. it's, it's done I think part of it going down the rabbit hole is that their their uh, their warrens down there, they're, they're, like oh, they're, nice. they're, their 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 burrows are probably very intricate, right? And so it's when you go down, or that's what
1: they want us to think.
0: Maybe maybe it's all a facade, brought on. <laughs> it's by per- Big per- per- perpetrated by Big Rabbit. <laughs> yeah, the Big Rabbit propaganda machine. I'm
1: glad that we're they're dismantling that right now. No, they aren't. Rabbits they aren't. are the new
0: Hitler. <laughs> That's what people are saying in the streets. I can
1: already see the meme. <laughs> no, what I was gonna the the sad rabbit hole that I went down was looking up what happened to the actual Leica. Now, oh, the I, dog,
0: the the Russian dog.
1: Yes, and I know that you had or have a dog. That did you end up naming her Leica? I,
0: I don't. It's not my dog.
1: Okay. Yeah. At one point, you had an association with the dog that may or may not. That I know that up, I weighed in on Instagram in terms that, of what it, it ended
0: up her. being called. Leica. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: that was not it. That wasn't the impetus for me looking it up. I was talking with another guest on the show about this band um, that we both like called Smile. They have a song named Sputnik and it has lyrics about Leica, the dog that went up into space. And so I'm like, what actually?
0: I don't think it turned out real well.
1: No, it didn't. And in the song, it says that for five and a half months, like she she starved to death ultimately. But she was up there for that long, and then I looked it up, and I'm like, it was really not even that long at all. She died within a few hours.
0: Well, so that's somewhat comforting, I guess. It's like better oh, than a dog suffering so. for five months. It still sucks. I mean, there was no there, there's a there's a famous picture that you can find online of uh, it's a, it's a space chimp. And the chimp is holding is holding a headline like a newspaper and seeming to cackle because the, the the big story was that the chimp came back alive. Right. You know, like with the these animals. It was just like, eh, yeah. Just send them up there. I know. What about getting back down? What's that now?
1: <laughs> kind of like humans going to Mars if that actually happens.
0: Oh yeah. Those dogs knew what they were getting into. <laughs> Those Russian dogs knew. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to overmodulate your. Uh, I apologize.
1: <laughs> That's totally okay.
0: Would you yeah. go to. My, I'm not. I don't no. know if I'm a no. space traveler. I don't know if I'm a space traveler. I think if given the opportunity, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I might be slightly too claustrophobic to be. Uh, to, I, and I think humanity can be divided into two types of people people who would go into space, people wouldn't. I would go into space uh, enterprise style. Mm hmm. Uh, but I would not. I don't think I could just go up into a small capsule and just be. I watch a lot of the NASA footage and you know, talk to Chris Hadfield, and and it's just, it's basically just like being in a habit trail with no ground. And yeah, it feels it, creepy.
1: It doesn't really appeal to me. I don't know. I guess I'm curious enough about what goes on down here that I, I, I don't have that yearning.
0: Part of the thing that they don't that they're not super public about is is how smelly the experience is because there's not really a right like they obviously they can pump oxygen but it's not like they can like well let's open the window and let some (laughs) no air in here
1: (laughs) (laughs) right there's no space febreze
0: let's let's let all the air out and die
1: (laughs) (laughs) right that'd be a very fast sort of uh airing it out you really air it out
0: i think the i think the um the whatever like the airwick name for that for that that space uh capsule fresh scent would be a solar wind (laughs) i think it would be called i like that all right we're gonna market that do it as soon as we're done with this
1: okay okay get on it i mean unless we're going in on it together in which case i'll help
0: yeah. Well, we'll have lawyers drafted up, and okay. it'll take a year Perfect. for the contracts to get done, and then we'll forget what the original idea right. was. I
1: can't wait. <laughs> so you mentioned being claustrophobic, and yeah. um, something that I wanted to ask you about. So I just recently read your book, The Nerdist Way. You How did read reach. the book.
0: I read the book. That's very nice of you.
1: Well, uh, you're welcome.
0: You're a far superior podcaster to to me because I would I I would have been like, oh, I see that you've written a book.
1: We're done here. I've proved my point.
0: (laughs) What is it about?
1: (laughs) No, but anyway, um, I, for some reason, had it in my head that it was a memoir. And so I was surprised and, um, and, well not, uh, super excited would suggest that i wouldn't want to read one of your memoirs which i would listen but i know listen i, I thought I it was really good and really inspiring and I, I i took a lot of stuff from it i just expected that i would read it so i would have a greater sense of who you are i didn't think i would read it and turn my life around which <laughs> might be happening i've already started drawing little picture instead of just like representing my goals on a piece of paper with words i've started drawing little pictures it's well a whole new thing for me
0: it, i mean I, I think that type of visualization helps uh it helps kind of focus you, and it, it helps your brain understand. Emo- pictures have more emotion. Pictures have more emotional associations than words, and your brain, your brain works better when you're driven emo- by emotion right. than. Obviously, you know, how many times did you know you were supposed to do something and you're into the intellectual part of your brain knew like, you know, this is good for you or not good for you to do this. And the emotional side was like, we fuck everything, you know, so all the time. Yeah. So it's it, you're know, like when you can really harness that sort of like when you can figure out how to motivate the emotional side of your brain and tell this book, I, you know, I wanted to I fucked up a lot in my 20s and I got I, I got my shit together and I wanted to. Write a book to help people who I thought were similarly minded. And it, it, and it's, it's autobiographical in the sense that it's like, here's how I fucked things up. And here's what, here's what my anxiety is. And here's what I'm afraid of. And here's, and here's how I got over a lot of that. Hopefully these two, hopefully these, hopefully it was not for nothing. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. You mentioned being claustrophobic. Um, potentially in space. In the book, you go through a lot of different fears you had at different points in your life. And at one point, it sounds like you had a lot of phobias. Like you were afraid uh, of yeah. heights, you were afraid of crowds.
2: Well, because they're flying. all they're all
0: connected by, I realized that, it, it took me a while to realize that they were all actually the same phobia. Which that, is? Uh, control. Fear, fear of not being in control. So when you're trapped in a small space, you're not in control of, oh, I can't get out. You know, like when you're on an airplane, you're not in control of, I mean, it's funny to, when you're, uh, 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 I realize that it's not so much, um, I feel like people are afraid, more afraid of, of, of dread Mm -hmm. than they are of actual things because driving is way less safe than flying statistically. And more people die of heart attacks than terrorism, but it's, you know, but, but these sort of big ticket fear items have more dread associated with them. And no one, when you have a heart attack, you don't know what's coming. You just, kind of like well that's it mm-hmm. so it's not a very you don't sit around and go oh more be like so the same person that would be like i'm never getting into a plane will shove like a triple cheeseburger in their mouth when heart disease kills way more people than plane crashes
1: right so, so it's it's like what we're afraid of what is. we're
0: afraid of and what we can control and what we can't control it's like those those types of things and so i realized that they were all manifestations of the same basic fear and so i systematically tried to go in and change it. and there are still some that i'm not still i'm still i've been talking about it in my stand-up i'm still kind of afraid of heights my body does not like heights and part of it is because uh my i go oh what if i jump you know like i have this weird like what if i can't stop myself from jumping i have
1: that too do you think everyone has that
0: no but a lot of people have it i didn't what is it, it do you think it's uh it's a self-preservation mechanism because if you have like control issues uh And you're faced with something where you are could be a second away from death, then it's I think it's your brain protecting you and go and and to make you aware, extra aware that you could fall (laughs) inside, and so it's you're protecting. It's almost like your body's trying to protect you from yourself in a weird way, but it's uh, it, it is just you know fear of control and
1: I always just tell myself I don't think I actually would. When I have that, because I used to live in New York and I would have that feeling a lot when I was standing there waiting for the subway to come. And so I'd have to take a few steps back just so I'm not on the edge in case I decide I want to jump in front of the subway, which I don't think I would ever do. But I definitely had that that feeling that you're talking about. And then I sort of flipped it. I'm like, well, what if I decided I want to do that right now? Could I actually make myself do it? So I also have that thought on a small scale of like sitting in this chair right now, if I wanted to piss myself, could I? Or would something take over?
0: No, I think you'd be able to if you were, you know, if, if you really felt. If I really needed to. if you well, Or if you just really wanted to see if you could, you know, you could probably. Well, let's try it.
1: <laughs> let's do it at the end of this. <laughs> Shortly before we design our, um, what are we designing?
0: Oh, uh, we're, we're designing. Air freshener for air space. F- solar wind. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So
1: I'll piss myself, mm-hmm. then solar wind. Yep. Yeah. So, control freak. When you were a child, were there times that you felt out of control?
0: Sure, sure, and, and you know, and, and most of the things you do in your adult life, I am sure, trying to make up for things that happen when you were a kid. You know, my parents uh, didn't get along very well when I was growing up, and we moved a lot, so I am sure a lot of it has to do with like in my child brain. Oh my, you know, and my, my and my parents were great. I mean, they you know they were amazing. They just didn't they didn't get along. And so I think some part of me was trying to find stability. I just didn't – I felt like I didn't have control over my environment, mm-hmm. which can be very scary is it, when you're a kid. So, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of it stems from that, I'm guessing.
1: Uh, how old were you when they divorced?
0: Eleven. I was eleven.
1: What was that like?
0: Uh, being eleven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was uh, – well, I think because they – had such a tough time getting along. It was certainly a sense of relief because I didn't like, you know, there were there were times and and you know I'm, as adults, uh, no matter how much you tried to hide something from kids, they the kids are you just feel it. Well, they yeah, they're just little antennas. Like they're just emotional sponges. They just know when there's tension in the room. They're very kids are very hyper aware because they're obviously trying to fast track an understanding of the world to develop their personality and become to grow up and then have their own issues as an adult. But it's uh, but, but they're just super, they're just super aware of every emotional thing that's happening because they kind of have to develop to be functioning members of society. So that's, you know, it, it's very difficult to hide things from kids.
1: Do you think that all kids are like, cause I, I'm relating like a thousand million percent to everything you're saying. My parents didn't split up, but, Sometimes I wonder if they should have. I mean, there's tons of fighting when I was growing up. Sure. And the minute I would start to hear the voices, and I can almost do an, you know, a, a wordless impression of like the sounds of their bickering, but the minute I would start to hear it, I would get this feeling in the pit of my stomach. Sure, sure, sure. And still, if people argue around me, I will get that feeling yeah. still. Um, and I'm someone who very much feels the emotions of people around, but I don't know that everyone does. So I'm wondering, do you think you're sort of just more on the sensitive
0: yeah maybe scale. maybe i mean i i think it's uh um i think it's good to be empathetic but it's not necessarily good to be empathic right because um if someone is distressed you taking on that emotion doesn't do anyone any good like you don't you shouldn't you suffering a you shouldn't have to suffer what someone else is suffering and it also makes you an ineffective Friend or partner, right? Because if you're feeling it too, then you're both in this just pit of, and you need to you need to be able to, you know, sometimes just go into therapist mode and be able to go, okay, well, let's take a look at the a global view of this issue and try to sort it out rather than like, oh my god, you're right. Now we both feel terrible, <laughs> which is a which is also a struggle that I've had in in relationships is not absorbing the emotions of the other person and to be a better to be a better. significant other
1: well because i think it can feel almost like you're well tell me if this is how it it is for you for me it's like i think it can feel almost like you're hanging them out to dry if you're not trying to emotionally feel what they're feeling sure because i i mean i have that sort of codependent thing i remember dr drew said to me once that just like affect an expression of compassion and just kind of to create a boundary, like just, just look as if you, you know, and who knows what you're thinking about, but you have a expression of compassion. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going there. I'm going there with them. That's what I'm going to (laughs) do.
0: Yeah. I mean, the thing is, you, you know, you don't, you don't really have to express everything you feel, but I'm someone that kind of does. And I also think that's part of being a performer. I mean, it's funny when, uh, uh, People hear comedians and actors talk about getting trolled a lot, and they're like, "Oh, fuck it, fucking shut up about it." And it's like, but that's our—that's our, that's our life. That's part of our lives. And when they say, when they say like, "Well, just don't be so sensitive about it," it's like you can't. it's like telling a dog not to sniff a butt. Like that's just what <laughs> you know. Like we as performers, particularly as comedians part of what makes us do what we do is that we are hypersensitive to the world because we absorb everything in an environment and then sort of pa- reexpress and repackage that and then ha- and then hand deliver it in a bow to an audience but but we're just we we notice we emotionally notice things and we we uh, intellectually notice things that's just what we do so you can't you kind of can't have one without the other it's just you are just sensitive to the world because you're always trying to find what they're where the discrepancies are and what's weird about it and what's good and what's bad and it's like that's just part of the job. So we're all we're all hypersensitive. And also, you know, a lot of us insecure as well, which is I think one of the reasons why we think We have to get up in front of strangers and try to make them like us. Right, look for that validation. Yeah, of course.
1: The thing I've noticed is that when people make those comments, which of course there is so much truth to that of why let it get to you, even though it's not a choice. It just does get to you. I'm talking about the trolls. Um, But that person who says that, wait till they get one shitty comment. Well, that's the thing. And all of a sudden they have a greater understanding.
0: Yeah, I mean the thing is, you know… It's like sometimes people just don't want to really cut you a break. They want to go, fuck you, you suck. And you go, well, that that, why, that sucks that you would say that. Oh, oh, we've got to be sensitive. You don't have to pay attention. <laughs> it's like, well, uh, you know, at least let me... Do you want me, your
1: words to matter or not? Yeah, I mean,
0: at least let me... Pri- I, you know, like I'm not, I'm not fucking made of stone. But I think, you know, I think at a certain point people just... But also interestingly, I think when people say things... Their self-esteem is low and so they don't understand why their words would matter to you. Like, well, I'm just some schmuck, why would you give a fuck? You don't, you know, and then they attack you for that. And uh and I think, you know, and but I also think we, we are definitely in a in a renaissance of narcissism. And mm-hmm. I don't just mean I always used to throw around the word narcissism like, oh, I'm a comedian, of course I'm narcissistic, but it doesn't just mean that you are a little bit uh full of yourself. Like there is a, I, I never really understood until kind of recently what clinical narcissism is, where it's not only does someone have to be the center, but they have to be like the emotional center, and they have to create drama around them, but then bear no responsibility for any of their actions, it which just is a, happens to which them. is an element that I never. So a lot of really hardcore narcissists will dr- sort of go through life, and nothing is ever their fault, and they make a lot of bad choices. But it's never their fault. Oh, well, this part. Oh, well, this. And so I see a lot online where someone will attack. And then I've started doing this thing. I mean, most of the time I don't respond anymore because I'm starting to get older and wiser. (laughs) But I started experimenting with this thing where, like, I'm going to reflect back the exact tonality of what's coming at me and see how people deal with it. And they almost never deal with it well. What happens? Well, they're like fuck you, why, you know, like, oh, you're being a... And I go, no, no, no. I literally almost word for word just, I took the same thing that you sent and I reflected it back at you. You, no one asked you to go out of your way to do that. I'm just, it sucks, right? Of course it sucks. But and then, but they almost, ne- almost never will they go, oh, you're right. It's always like, fuck you, you're dumb. You know, like they don't, they just don't want to take any responsibility for starting shit. And my friend, um, one of my best friends, April Richardson, who's been opening for me on the road, um, obviously as a woman, she deals with a lot of stuff that I don't deal with as a dude, where people just say horribly disgusting and and very rapey things at her. And she'll sometimes respond. And, and she says it's hilarious to her that the some of the people that are the worst are not who you would necessarily think. It's like... People with kids like a like a dude oh, where, where you see where you see like on their so bio. It's like, you know, yours in Christ, you know, like I'm not saying all religious people like this, but I mean like it's shock. It's like she'll be shocked by it's like a dude with a family and it, he's maybe my religious
1: haters are. I swear to God, I noticed a pattern men who've just had babies.
0: Oh. Isn't
1: that so weird?
0: And do you think that they're resentful somehow, that they feel like their youth's, it, youth is being taken away, and so they are they're they get a little misogynistic because it's like they blame someone else? Or,
1: I think it's incredibly stressful when you've just had a baby, and I think that it alters the dynamic of the relationship. It must. And so maybe all of us... I, was, I remember I had Jesse Thorne on my mm-hmm. podcast, and we were talking about it, and he was saying that he realized right after their first baby was born just how not important to the equation he was as a dad. Like, the baby is into you, but not at all in the way that the baby needs the mother. Of course. And so you just feel kind of disenfranchised. I don't know what it is. It's just... I. It was just such a shocking pattern to me. Because, of course, when you get some, someone saying something, you know, just horrendous, you assume that it's someone who, like, looks like a troll. And so then to find out it's just some middle-of-the-road family guy...
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I... I April... Started responding to dudes like that and and saying and hitting them with something that you'd think would be very obvious. Where she'd go, "How would you feel if someone wrote that to your daughter?" And then they would go, "Oh, it's almost like they didn't." Oh, they have, would wake up. Yeah, yeah. She had a she had instances where someone where people would go, "Oh, r- right," you know, and then feel and then feel bad as as they should. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's. You know the, the 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 way that social media and I love social media. I've my entire career is built around social media, but but it does foster the, the, that that element of narcissism where you don't have to claim responsibility for anything because you're interfacing with a machine and and you're interacting with other human beings through um, a, a, through an insensitive. Uh, interface where you're typing text into a machine. The machine does not feel feelings, so you you forget that that machine is attached to a human being on the other side and so, you know, there's a little bit of that and people don't claim responsibility because they get to just, they get to be anonymous and they don't have to claim any responsibility. I mean, if everyone had to claim responsibility for the shit they say, it it, it would be, I think a lot of that would be reduced by in order of magnitude. I mean, it's it. it, And to me, I find it to be incredibly cowardly because people like you and I, I mean, unless you have a fake account, that's not your name. I don't, I don't either. Like we have to bear responsibility for the stuff we say the same way that you would, if you were at a party and you wouldn't just walk up to someone and go, you fucking suck. You're dumb. (laughs) Your face is stupid. You're not funny. Your podcast sucks. You're a dumb piece of shit. Most people wouldn't do that at a party. one star yeah and so it just kind of it kind of makes you go do you mean like do you this is a this is a this is a cowardly act because you know that you're safe it's just like it's like a bratty little kid throwing rocks from behind their house and then someone in the street going where the fuck is that you know I do
1: wonder what people get out of it I mean I think that it's I think it's well I want to hear what you think
0: no I want to hear what you think
1: they're releasing something. Yes. I mean, I think that when they're communicating to podcast hosts or comedians or movie stars or whoever it is, they're not talking peer to peer. Like to us, it feels like a peer just said something shitty. But to them, they're talking to someone that's sort of on kind of a an elevated platform and they don't even know whether the person's reading it or not. I mean, I think that... that whoever's on the receiving end of that, like, starts to represent something. So it's their feelings about authority, their feelings about their parents. Sure, their, You know what I mean? There's all this shit projected. So it's just – I think they're releasing some kind of anger and hostility. I, I think, or they really hate us. I don't know. I
0: th- Well, I think it's probably but, some of both because you can't – like, not everyone's going to like you. And you shouldn't want everyone to like you.
1: I kind of do. <laughs> I wouldn't mind it.
0: <laughs> it, the, it the, but there's definitely – you know, very much like in, in science, there is a conservation of emotional um, energy. So, you know, if someone comes at you aggressively for something where they their reaction doesn't really fit the – I mean, like, you know, people come at you stimulation, like you're yeah. a fucking – like you're dealing drugs to kids. <laughs> Fuck you. You're worse than Hitler. Like, I, I, really? A- am I really just because, you know? Shipmates. I mean, because of that, yeah. But uh, but I mean, it. you know, there are obviously factors going on in that person's life where negative energy is being – Projected onto them or harness you know like they're harnessing they're, they're funneling something and then projecting it outward and, and releasing it or, or or but you know but some people are just anarchists and they just want to they're like oh that guy's got something fuck that guy and they just want to knock you knock you down and you feed them and give them attention and that's empowering and you know and so
1: the weird thing though is that I feel like I'm probably a little bit of an anarchist and so I'm like you shouldn't hate me <laughs> like me we have the same philosophy i think you're just an asshole more than an anarchist yeah
0: i mean you know the truth of the matter is um because i do you know like we do it too i'm sure you you see people i'm sure you look at you see people well and i
1: keep it in my head
0: you keep it in your head yeah
1: <laughs> but sure there's a whole bunch of negative shit but, going but you on. but
0: you know you see people who are more who are more famous and and you kind of just you judge them you go, ah fuck that person mm. and and then you think in your head like oh well it's okay because they're super rich and famous and I, but not really realizing like, well, that doesn't cure. I mean, it definitely, it helps a lot of things in life, but it doesn't mean that they're impervious to being human beings and having problems and losing loved ones and, and, and experiencing loss and tragedy and being sad and, you know, but I, I think, I think some people just assume like, Oh, well, uh, you know, that that super famous guy, like, oh, Tom Cruise, Well, he's got a billion dollars. Like, fuck him. He can't have any problems. Like, well, he, of course he can. I mean, like, that's not...
1: It doesn't insulate it, you.
0: Yeah, it, it doesn't, you know, I mean, it's not... He doesn't have your problems. He has different problems. And yes, he should be thankful that he doesn't have to worry about where his next meal is coming from. But that doesn't mean that every problem he has is just gone.
1: Well, as you've become more and more successful, have you become happier?
0: uh well in in some in of course in some instances i'm mu- i'm much more um content with how things are going and i also recognize that uh i mean i i'm not someone some people start to get success but then they're just never satisfied and then you you see like oh you, it doesn't matter what you get you're just going to be that person i recognize that that there is a very special thing going on and i'm very fortunate right now but i have worked incredibly hard um it's very challenging to have a career and lose it and then get it back and then get it back better than it was that's not an easy thing to do it's a lot it took a lot of work but it's cuz I care about what I do and I like the and I like what I do um but I also you know what I do find is that um there are if you give a fuck about what you're doing there are new pressures of Oh well, I always want to make sure that I'm improving on the quality of work. I have a lot more responsibility now. I'm not just responsible for myself. I'm responsible for 30 people who work for Nerdist and hundreds of people who work on At Midnight and uh, people who work on Talking. Like the choices that I make and things that I do, if I make bad choices, affect other people's jobs and their life lifestyles. And so that also that's a pressure that I never, you know, thought. You know, when you're young and you're trying to achieve something there are just things about it that you don't foresee but you know again those are luxury problems so you know in general yes i'm i'm very happy and satisfied and things are going better than i ever thought they would
1: aha uh-huh, so money does buy happiness
0: but <laughs> no it, well i think it uh it definitely buys it's definitely empowering in the sense that you don't feel, you know. I mean, there were so many years where I just would go to bed at night, like just not fully breathing, because I'm like, well, I don't know where, how I'm going to pay the bills next month, and I, I guess I just can't worry about that right now, and you know, and I would work and scrape together and figure it out, and it, you know, it was like those, those, those the struggle years, and there were a lot of them, you know. I don't have those anymore, but it's been supplanted uh, by you know, the, the, by responsibility and, and not ruining it and not fucking it up and not, you know, do you
1: worry that you could lose it? Like, I'm wondering what are, what, what are your dark voices or dark thoughts say? Sure, Mine sure. tell me I'm a fraud. That's where my head goes. You know,
0: everyone, but y- yes. And, and I think, I think those thoughts can be useful if you use them as motivators. In other words, like, Well, always work on your craft, always try to get better, appreciate what you have, be nice to people, like use them to motivate you. But when we had Paul McCartney on the podcast, he said he only recently just got over imposter syndrome. Wow. So I think it's, you you just don't, you know, you just don't know what it's like to be in someone else's skin and you can look at them and go, wow, the grass is really fucking green over there. But from their side, you might just be seeing a patch of, and you don't know what the, you don't know what anyone's going through and you don't everyone we're all human beings and and so you know e- even to the people who think they don't have anything like you know especially like in this country well look at a third world country mm. and then you're you're a fucking you're living like royalty you know that you can just go to a McDonald's or a Starbucks you know and and then complain and go oh but I don't have it you know I mean it's it, everyone everyone has it better than someone right so
1: so, so, what are your like? Where do you go when you go to a dark place?
0: Oh, you know, it, 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 it's the. It's, I think it's the standard. I am um, no good. I mean, like, there is some days where I feel like, okay, I think I think I got stuff figured out, and there are a lot of days I am like, I don't know what the fuck I am doing. God damn it! In life, yes, of course. Oh, I thought I knew that. Oh, this was oh, that wasn't very funny, and you know, with with comedy, a lot of it is based around um, the, the the quality of comedy, and you can have an amazing show and feel good, or you can have a bad show and be like, ah. Oh, I shouldn't be doing this or mm. I can or you know it, so it, it is it is some of it's losing that or losing it or or going back to where where I was before when I was you know scared and depressed and going to bed freaked out every night and you know like that's all
1: Is depression something you you battle?
0: I don't battle um not really. I mean I I've never I've had I've had I've had little traces of you know, me my, my bigger struggle is anxiety it's it's not i'm you know i, I have clinical depression and i can't get out of bed mm. like i'm not on antidepressants i don't think i need to be on antidepressants i don't feel i don't i don't fluctuate wildly you know um i get uh, at the end of the day you know i can get kind of cranky and in my head but you know i i work i you know i'm usually working seven days a week and i'll and three of those days are usually traveling out of town and doing shows and coming back and you know and so it's as wonderful as it is there's you only have so much energy in your body to you know there's not an infinite amount of it so it does it does start to take a toll and you know one of the great things about lydia is that she's a phenomenal partner and We've, you know, our relationship just doesn't really have any drama. We're very respectful of one another. Is that
1: a- unusual for you?
0: Um, I mean, I, when I was younger, I I think I associated drama with passion. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a young thing to do. And so it's like, oh, if we're really feeling these emotions, you know.
1: The highs are so high and yeah, the lows are so low.
0: Yeah. Or I, I was very attracted to girls who were volatile. And I guess I, I guess maybe I, like the ride of of it, and I was also like, you know, I just I used to drink, and I used to, you know, do all that. When
1: you were young, you're attracted to girls who are volatile Are you talking about the singled out days, or are you talking about like as a teenager?
0: Um, I I think just well, I mean, I guess when I was a teenager, I was attracted to anyone who was willing to go out <laughs> with me.
1: And were there a lot? I'm I'm trying to get a sense of where you were socially as a teenager.
0: Well, we moved. I, I went to three different high schools. Uh, i started high school in Memphis and then went through my the second half of my freshman year to the end of my junior year in denver and then i graduated my senior year was in los angeles and so um you know i i had uh i had a girlfriend in high school when i moved out to l a um i had you know but it wasn't um i don't know i mean I'm not I was very socially awkward and I didn't I, I but I, but I, but I had this it, it's hard to explain because I was very socially awkward but I also had class clownism like I wanted to I was a I was um a, a small nerdy kid who was afraid of people but I also was able to um lash out at them with words mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know I was obsessed with comedy since I was a little tiny tiny child and so i use that that as a defense mechanism who was
1: the first comedian you were into steve
0: martin Mm -hmm. but you know i don't know if i was really a great class clown (laughs) i think i had more misses than hits and so you know i was just i was just like that awkward nerdy so in 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 the in the crew of the nerdy kids who were sort of you know the it was very much like the film Revenge of the Nerds where it was a group of people who were sort of rejected by the everyone else and so we were all like sh- uh shuffed off to the side and um but and, and so in that sense I was I was a little more like Anthony Michael Hall in 16 Candles where I was not afraid to be a leader in that in that group mm-hmm. because I for for whatever reason I could talk my way out of things and I wasn't afraid to Make snarky comments, um, but you know I, I don't know. It was still school was was still always very very awkward for me, and I didn't relate to other kids, and I didn't like a lot of other kids because I just thought they were shitty and shallow and annoying, and I didn't really understand sports, and so that didn't help. And I liked computers and video games and Dun- Dungeons and Dragons and 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 sci-fi, and you know, and and there was no internet, so you really just you would just find a couple other kids in your school who were into that stuff and that was it
1: so how did you go from being this um leader of the nerds to singled out and was that weird suddenly being in in the mtv environment
0: yeah well i felt like i constantly tried to you know we moved so much i felt like i constantly would try to reinvent myself as to try to fit in more like sort of like when when millhouse goes to capital city and uh he, you know, he changes, but then the cracks start showing. Like I, I always would try to change and fit in with popular kids, and it would never last because my tendencies were just too strong.
1: Do you remember? what some of the ways in what ways you tried to change because i remember when i went from the private school i went to in eighth grade to a public high school i was like i'm tired of being quiet and sensible i'm gonna be a bitch Mm. which lasted for one second because i can't be
0: well it's just you know all the stuff that i was into were things that mostly their kids were not into and i didn't understand them and they didn't understand me so you know it was like i would try to go to a school football game or i would (laughs) try to quote be mellow try not to crack dumb (laughs) jokes As opposed
1: to being aggro.
0: Right. Well, I I mean, I I just remember being at a party in high school and uh, it was – I had just moved to Los Angeles and we were neighbors with this kid who was like captain of the football team or something like that. So it was like all the football players and all the cheerleaders. I went to an all-boys school. So it was the cheerleaders were from a sister's schools and uh, everyone was very attractive but me and – and but I tried to be like super mellow and cool with everything, and then at a certain point, I started quoting. Um, I just in a conversation, I just I started talking about some Twilight Zone episode, and I started quoting Bobcat Goldthwait's <laughs> comedy special, and it just. It, like I could know – it was almost like I almost felt like the heads were turning and like <laughs> not one of us, you know. And uh, and then someone was like, you need to chill out. And then I sort of just realized like this is just not my – these are not my people and mm-hmm. I can't, you know. I, I need to – I'm just more comfortable in these environments where things are, you know. I know it's a popular buzzword now but where things are just nerdier, or like that's just where my – that's just where I'm more comfortable. And so I – and then when I went to college, I tried again, and it just did, it didn't work. And then when I started working for MTV, I tried again, on Singled out. Like Wait, they,
1: tried again to fit in. Is yeah, that what you mean? I tried
0: to, and, and and it just, I just always would slide back. You know, like with singled out with MTV. You know, they brought a they brought a stylist in and tried to make my clothes cooler, and they tried to grunge <laughs> to me up. You. And yeah, and I they tried to like I had like a little scruffy chin beard for a couple of days, and it, and it just. <laughs>
1: What was your style like before uh, the professionals were brought in?
0: It was um, super preppy, nerdy kid, like button up, <laughs> you know, you know, like um, khaki pants, tucked in shirts, mm-hmm. uh, you know, glasses. Like I, I was that I was the nerdy kid whose mom dressed him, right? So uh, um, kind of like Wormser in uh, Revenge of the Nerds, like the the little the little the the young one. Or his parents like dress him up and they push him. Okay, go play, you know.
1: Or like um, uh, Mitch from Real Genius,
0: right? yes, exactly. Well, Mitch in the first act of Real yes. Genius. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, it 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 definitely um, it 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 was it was always hard to adjust. And then you know, and I think a lot of I think that creates a lot of anxiety. I I just never felt like I was fitting in. I was always trying to quote unquote be cool because I always felt like, oh, well, I don't – those popular kids seem to have it so great and I'm here stuck in my own head, Uh, you know. I I don't know if those other kids have any type of introspection. It didn't seem like it. I'm guessing they didn't.
1: I think when you're busy banging, you don't have time for introspection. Well, there's –
0: well, and because it never occurs to you because you're not forced to – when you peak early – you're not forced to look inward in any way because things are just being handed to you. And right. I know everyone has a to a degree a struggle of some type. But but you know but you know some a lot some people don't. And when they get it early, it just they're just not they're not conditioned to really search for meaning or try to understand why the rest of the world is ostracizing them.
1: Yeah, right. I think that they don't. Maybe well, maybe this is just a sweeping generalization, but maybe they just exist on that one level.
0: I think it's why I get so uh, offended and pissed off when people are like, "Fuck you! You're not a real nerd." First of all, I'm everything I do. People are I'm, have, are constantly like, "You're not," you know. It's like you're not a real comedian. Like, yeah, I've been doing stand-up for like 18 years. You're not a real nerd. Yeah, well. And I think the reason that that last one bothers me so much is because it was such a struggle for me. And it was very hard. And it wasn't something I was proud of for a long time. And it was something that I had to come to grips with and and embrace. And, and it was, you know, socially, it was very difficult. It was very difficult growing up for me, always trying to fit into every place we moved and but liking the things that I liked, but they weren't cool or hip or popular, and so I always felt left out, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and so I think I, it always kind of offends me. Because I'm like, you don't know me. You don't know what I went through, and whatever I have now was the result of me being motivated by my, the failures of my youth to try to not feel so um, shitty about myself, and I think that's why I'm so super positive with everyone is because I don't want people to feel the way I felt when I was growing up, so that's why I'm very – Which inc- was –
1: Isolated or less isolated
0: than. and weird and not part of the group and the stuff that I was into was dumb and I was an idiot because I liked role playing games and not sports and and you know and comic cons were just for dumb nerds and you know <laughs> like I don't want I don't want people to feel that way so I, that's why I think I'm so extra you know like yeah come on be whatever you're into and run with it mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to being cynical and judgy which you know which people now. It's very disappointing that people read cynicism as somehow more real than being positive. It's like it's not. They're well, just, it's very adolescent. It's, well, it's just different. There's just different sides of a. Uh, I mean, I you know I could look at this thing and either tell you <laughs> ten good things about it or ten bad things, and you know may, that maybe that would be
1: the plush pink cell phone holder that producer that Jeff gonna, gave me. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I mean, come on. Oh uh, yeah. That I, I definitely, <laughs> you know, but. But I but I make the choice to I mean I, I feel like I feel like cynicism is a lazy man's choice. It's very easy to deconstruct, it's very easy to knock things down. It's much harder to build things. Right. It's much harder You're to build vulnerable. a sandcastle than it is to kick it down. And so, you know, to people who, who thrive on cynicism or think it's more real or think it's more authentic or they think it's, you know, cooler. It's like, but it's fucking lazy. It's so it's so disgustingly lazy. It is so much more effort to be positive about things. But I think the reward is greater and I think the benefit to humanity in general is, 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 is better
2: mm-hmm.
0: than, than being – I mean, like the world offers enough obstacles. You don't have to be another one.
1: So when someone says to you, fuck you, you're not a nerd, what is, it, <laughs> like, what is it that you feel like they're saying? Are they invalidating your past? Are they calling your bluff? Are, like, what is it?
0: I think it's just, you know, um, so, you know, the example of you growing up and feeling that thing in the pit of your stomach, which I also felt around my parents. Yeah. It's kind of like you went through something and, and it shaped you and you suffered through it. And you know it, it. It was a. It was to a child. That's a traumatic experience. So it's basically like someone belittling the trauma that you went through and saying like, "Fuck you. You don't. Fe- you didn't. You didn't feel anything." And it's like, "Fuck." It, it, it's almost it's disrespectful the fact that it's it's like saying like, "Shut up. You're a pussy." Oh, but no. I was really upset by the fact that I didn't. My parents started screaming, "Fuck you. You're a pussy." but that's really i mean like because it brings up those things that you were feeling at the time mm-hmm. and it's someone telling you that they aren't worth anything and and that's that that that, that obvious that hurts i mean you know maybe that's me just be- but but i'm sensitive you know like i'm, I'm sensitive, which i think is part of what makes me a comedian. It's because I'm sensitive, therefore, it's there's a causality. I'm sensitive, therefore, I need defense shields. And those defense shields are comedy. You know? Right,
1: right. I actually know exactly what you mean because um, I was really overweight for most of my life. And then I lost a bunch of weight. And for the longest time, I didn't want anyone to know that I used to be overweight. Um, and then I started being open about it. But it, at first, and this is when I was on the Adam Carolla show, when I would mention it, people... Would act like I was making it up, like I'm just some like some Hollywood chick who's like, oh yeah, I used to be fat, but really, what I meant was I was five pounds fatter. Right. So just recently, I posted some photos of what I used to look like, and there were comments like, "Holy shit, you know, you were gross" or something. I was like, "See?
2: Well, it's not (laughs) weirdly validating.
1: That's right, I was awful.
0: (laughs) No, it just it just uh, it sort of hurts because you're in a way making yourself vulnerable, and then people are like. You're dumb. You don't. You didn't go through that. It's like I fucking absolutely right. goddamn Lulie went through that, and it was not. You know, it was it was right?
1: Like yeah, like what you're saying. Like I'm going through. I'm both going through something and trying to heal a bit by even talking about this.
0: Right. But you know, on on the other hand, look, everyone everyone has struggles and everyone has stuff, and you know, it just we're all. I think we all feel the same types of things and just different shades of it. So mm-hmm. hopefully, hopefully, when people do come at you aggressively, you can understand that a lot of times it's more about them than it is about you. But it is it is hard not to.
1: That's a discipline I find to to look at it that way. Even though I think that is the the right way to look at it. Like I think I'm some days more locked in just reacting on an right. emotional level to whatever it
0: is. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it just means when you hear stuff like that and they're attacking you for being a fraud or an authentic or authentic or whatever it's i mean if you were actually a fraud i think you'd be like yeah, all right you know like <laughs> but if you not maybe not outwardly but but if you had gone through something it just sort of um you know it it, it no one wants to feel invalidated or that their experiences were insignificant and it, it's just it's, it's a very disrespectful thing to do yeah to someone but it also makes you realize you know, I you know I do it too. I mean, I look at the Kardashians and I go, "What?" I go, "They," and they might be very nice people, and I'm sure they've been through stuff, you know. But I look at them as representative of like, "Oh, this is the the dumbing down of America, mm-hmm. where we are obsessed with, you know, uh, empty fame at any cost." And, and you know, that's I guess that's not about. I can't personally say what they're like. So you know, so maybe in in fairness to to those people who think I'm a dumb piece of shit. Maybe they, you know, they look at me and they go, well, you're the, you know, you're part of the, the downfall of what used to be like this very private thing that was, you know, like nerd culture or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so they see me being very public as being representative and they go, oh, well, you're, you know, you're this or you're not this or, you know, it's, I find it funny that a group that was, uh, because I felt like I was, judged and left out i try not to be as judgy to the non-kardashian factions of humanity (laughs) Uh, but i find that a lot of people can take that and it and it it spins negatively where they get super judgy because they were judged
2: by people
0: and where you would think they would go oh well you should be you should be the most sympathetic group in the world because you know what it feels like for some but it's not right you know
1: yeah, not everyone's able to walk in someone else's shoes. I think that's what that is. It's like, because I remember going back to what you were saying about narcissism a long time ago, I was trying to figure out the relationship between narcissism and hypocrisy. And I was like, how can there was a specific situation I was thinking about. How can this person not see the hypocrisy in that? And it's because that person is only experiencing every situation from their point of view. Sure. So they are not realizing that it's a pattern.
0: Right. And and also they don't have the, their narcissism traps them in this weird cell where they don't have the ability to step outside and look at the situation holistically And, and really, and, and look, you know, there are almost always going to be discrepancies because every person, you know, like I'm looking at your tablecloth now and, and like, oh, this is some type of blue gray. And you might, blue gray to me might mean something totally different than it means to you. And you might see it as like, well, it's no, it's green gray, you know, (laughs) but like we, it's amazing that in a world of six to 7 billion people that we are able to come together and agree upon the nature of things enough to form a society right, because there language. because there are there are discrepancies and you know and uh a lot of times you miss things because you only have your point of view but i feel like i really do try to step back as much as i can and understand you know what what is going on with the other person or or how did i I have no problem apologizing and I have no problem going, ah, oh, you know what? I was being a cranky dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, it's a, I've been, Liddy and I went to Austria last week and it was an, we went for the life ball uh, to Vienna, which is a huge AIDS fundraiser. And then we took a handful of days and went to Salzburg and we were on vacation, a very nice vacation and came back and we both have been so fucked up since we got back because uh the the time schedule is flipped so we're not sleeping regularly but still working all day and so we're both just kind of weird and cranky and and I've been very open about like I'm just I'm just being a cranky dick I'm sorry I know it's not it's not you it's me and it's not I'm this is all me you know and uh and she's saying the same thing she's like I'm sorry I'm being so weird and cranky and uh and so it I really do try to uh be open and forthright about like here's where i think i fucked this up because i think that's you know most people forget that in these types of situations the goal is not to thrash another person emotionally the goal is to you know um the goal is to gain understanding and so you know if you can come to the table and go why well, fuck this up and this up and this up hopefully the other person will go well and you know i probably could have done this better but here's where we could come together right. and do better the next time like the goal is really to do better the next time
1: i think yeah i think when it, when that doesn't happen it's because people people who are super hurt or injured or whatever it's like once they feel hurt then they get defensive and then once that defensiveness happens it's no longer about coming together then it is about emotionally thrashing the other person to protect themselves
0: well we're there there's there's an ego addiction you know where you and and a lot of times I'll ask myself in situations, is this an ego choice that I'm making or is this the best choice? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's an ego choice, especially if it's... A, a, like what kind of situation? Like an emotional response. Oh. Or, you know, like if 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 someone, you know, if someone says something you don't like and you go to write an email or send a tweet <laughs> back or, or respond to them and be like, well, how could you ever, you know, it. you stop and you go, okay, is that is that the actual, is that real? Or is that just... Is that the ego response because my ego is not getting what it wants Mm -hmm. and so it's lashing out? Uh, And is this going to drive me closer to my goal? And usually, usually ego choices do not get you closer to the thing that you actually want, which is very ironic.
1: When's the last time you sent a shitty email
0: Um, or an email
1: that you wished you had not sent?
0: You know, I I don't really send – I'm usually decent about – doing that a lot of times i'll write the email or the or something on social media Mm -hmm. just to write it and then i don't and then i don't send it i do i just i get it out um and uh so the i think if i if i have sent an email it's been more snarky than it's been like what the fuck i i tend to not Swear at people in missives because it's it's difficult because you can't you know you forget you know what your emotional intention is with text but other people don't I mean mm-hmm. and they uh, and and so they bring their baggage to the text. This is why there's so many misunderstandings on Thank forums. Thank God for emojis. And, yeah, <laughs> it's, you know it's like someone uh, someone on Reddit posted something about oh what was it? Uh, it was in a thread that I was. You know, someone tagged me in it, so it came up in my inbox, and I commented on it. And they go, well, "What do you do? Just Google? What do you do? Just search yourself?" And I go, <laughs> uh, "No, someone tagged me, and so that uh, that alerted me that someone was talking about me in this thread. Welcome to Reddit. Uh, uh, it's a it's a vast wonderland. You should really explore all of its. You know. And then I I sent a link to like how to use Reddit. In my head, I was laughing. I'm like, "Oh, this is the person will think this is really funny." Mm-hmm. And they were like, "Well, you didn't have to be a dick about it." And so I had to respond and go. Okay, if you could hear the tone in my voice, you would know that that was me fucking with you. Like, and the reverse happened today. A dude uh, said something to me. He referred to me as like a bro comedian, Hmm. and I wrote back. and And I never do this. And I go, "Fuck you for calling me a bro." You know, (laughs) I was like, I associate bros with. Uh, like being misogynistic pricks. I aspo- I associate them with like wanting to fuck sports and, and not having any self-awareness and I'm none of those things. And then the guy was like, oh I was totally kidding. I was being ironic and I and uh. I and I had to in that moment instantly go I'm I was being insecure and defensive. I apologize. I completely missed it. That was not your fault. That those were my issues and not yours. But I but I'm fine copying to that it was just a j it just a it was just an emotional moment for some reason, but usually that doesn't happen. Usually, I'm able to you know t- t- take all the caustic words out or take all the barbs out mm-hmm. and then just have it say, you know, you know why did this happen or why did you you know who said this should be this way, or how can we try to fix this
1: right, right um
0: Matt Myra was on recently, right Yes, he was. Did Matt say he started the Nerdist podcast? Yes, he did. You know that's not true. What is the story? The story is uh, – Well, I, I don't know
1: that he said exactly that he started it, but I think that it was his idea.
0: Yeah, that's not true. Okay. Well, what is the story? Uh, I, I, someone said that and I was like, I mean, I maybe to a degree he contributed something, but it <laughs> sounded like – if he just flat out took credit for the podcast, that did not happen that way. And I love Matt Myra to death. He's like a little brother to me.
1: It was pretty ballsy when he said it. So I just assumed, well, okay.
0: Yeah. The story was that uh, Matt and I became friends because he worked at the Apple store. And I have an obsession with technology and I like shiny things. And so, you know, I would go into the Apple store and he would, he was, he was, he, and the first time I saw him in there, he was a big comedy fan and he would go to UCB shows all the time. And at that time I was doing comedy death race shows very regularly and he was going to UCB. And so we would go in and we'd bullshit about comedy and, you know, he's, I thought he was a really funny guy. And, and um, then um, uh, I can't remember how but we exchanged information and then he I can remember how he initially got involved with jimmy Dore and todd glass but he started he started kind of producing their comedy and everything else podcast and uh in 2010 for about two years i'd been wanting to do a podcast particularly because you know i have a background in radio because
1: he mentioned it to you
0: <laughs> and before i met him he mentioned it to me <laughs> i've been wanting to do a podcast for a couple years and by, and by that point uh, you know Pardo had been doing his show and Doug Benson had been doing his show and Marin had been doing his show and so you know but having a background in radio I'd been putting I'd put it off for a couple of years because in my head I thought oh well it's it's got to be like a radio show it has to be a very heavily produced show right. and I don't know how I I'm I don't have time to produce the elements of the show I mean, I worked at K-Rock for years and then worked at another station after that and then um and then in t- early 2010 uh, there was a show that I was very close to getting that I thought was kind of was going to change my life for the better. What was it? It was uh, a show that I'm very glad now that did not – this is the beauty in how you perceive what is failure and what is, what, what is a roadblock or what can actually be – like something that you think is a roadblock can actually be a ramp mm. and this was a ramp. But there was a he was he did this show called the Daily Ten, and it was it was paired with E News Daily, and they it was very much just a rehash of ten things that happened that day, right? But they wanted to make it more editorial because obviously they had had sex with, success with uh, the Soup, if <laughs> they had sex with the Soup, they had they had sex with the, <laughs> uh, but they had had success with Chelsea Show and and the Soup, and those shows were very point of view driven very editorial very voicey and so they wanted to do that with a daily 10 and we spent a lot of time redeveloping it and I really thought it was going to go the network executives really thought like and the reason that was important to me even though I didn't give a fuck about the source material I hate entertainment news I mean in terms of like tabloid news Um, but you know as a comedian it's very difficult, like your goal is to get your voice into the world as much as possible so people can decide if they're going to come see you or not. And it's very difficult to motivate people to leave their homes and pay money to see you in a venue. And this being on television every day and being, you know, like,
1: sure, it's a good being platform, myself is a
0: very good platform. And it, you know, it helped Joel and Chelsea's uh, stand up business tremendously. And, you know, ultimately, stands my favorite thing. And so obviously, I'm very motivated by that. So I thought this is going to being on television every day and having my voice. I thought, well, this is going to help. Did
1: you have a co-host, or were you just going to host it?
0: uh, You know, we – in the end, it was undetermined because we did a a round – we did a version of the pilot with one co-host and then another version of the pilot with a different co-host. And so – but in the end, it was irrelevant because they just decided at the last minute, like, oh, we're not – like, one day, I just got a call thinking that it was going to be the call where they were picking up the show, and they were like, oh, we're not going to do this now. Mm. And um, I was very upset for a couple days, eh, but – you know, I, I don't know. There's some weird thing about me where when I when I get kicked in the face, uh, I might, you know, for a day be like, well, oh, man, I don't know. But then something about me just like wipes the snot off my nose and then I use it to motivate. I'm like, well, I'm going to fucking show you, you know, like I just I don't know. I don't know where that I don't both my I guess both my parents are that way or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's I, I'm thankful that I'm that way because as many failures quote unquote, that I've had in my career. Um, it's a wonder that I even have a career now. If I did give in to that sort of stuff, I never I, – I wouldn't have made it this long. Right. I would have just given up and done something else. But um,
1: – Is it – when you're motivated like that, is it like a fuck you, you don't believe in me, I'll show you?
0: Kind of, yeah. Yeah. It is. I well, I'll, I'll fuck you, I'll do it myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, my podcasters kind of – that's what we do. That's the spirit of what we're doing. It's a very entrepreneurial sort of like, oh well, you this thing you won't hire me, and this thing doesn't exist. I'll fucking go make it, and you can go fuck yourself. Like it's sort of that (laughs) that sort of thing. Um, But uh, so that happened in the kind of the end of January of 2010, and and something just clicked where I said, I'm just going to start a podcast. It, you know it doesn't have to be produced it can just be conversational i can just talk i'll just talk to people it'll just be like it'll feel like what it's like to be backstage at a comedy show just comedians just like we'll just talking they'll be riffing we'll just have conversations and so i called matt and uh and i said uh, you know will you produce this so already he did not call me i called <laughs> matt and said would you would you produce the show for me and um you know, because I know you're producing Jimmy and Todd's, and then you know maybe you can maybe you could be a person on the show because you're producing it. And he said, sure. And so and then I called. Jo- this was on a Thursday, and I called Jonah Ray, and I'd known Jonah from doing comedy. I was like, I'm going to do a podcast. Would you want to be on it? You know. And he said, sure. And so we called Tom Lennon, and that Sunday was Super Bowl Sunday. None of us gave a shit about sports. So We went to Tom. I bought like a thousand dollars worth of, of of electronic equipment, recording equipment. And we went to Tom's and we recorded it and put it up like Monday. And then by Tuesday – by Monday night, it was a thing. And we've been – we've done it ever since. And so there are certainly – and then I got very control freaky about it because Matt was supposed to run all the tech for it. But I almost never let him do it. <laughs> and so I ended up just doing it for the for the most part.
1: Do you use any of that audio equipment today that you bought That It got
0: stolen. Oh. It, it, got, it got stolen from – Matt left it in his car and someone stole it. Oh. Um So – uh so i mean i guess in a sense we all definitely started the show together but (laughs) i love you matt myra but you did not start (laughs) not start the podcast
1: i'm i'm blanking i think he said wasn't i'm looking at jeff now because you were there too um well we could easily go listen to it not right now but we could find out i thought it was that he was like hey you should do a podcast that's sort of my memory of of it right of what he said,
2: yeah, it wasn't that he started it. Right, but oh. he, he, he sort had of
1: suggested to you that you should do a podcast. That
2: it was a thing that you could do,
0: right?
1: That he, a lot of comedians are doing.
0: He he had suggested it. Uh, oh. he, he had suggested it because he had been producing, you know, comedy and everything else. He definitely had suggested it, but it was something that I had been wanting to do for probably two years um, since before. And it wasn't it wasn't really until iTunes um adopted the format i mean because it was before it was a very difficult it was it was like having a ham radio (laughs) to the extent where you know there were certain file formats and there was you know you had you know like you had to import them into a player like a real player you know og vorbis oh right you know it was like there was it was a very it was a very different and and the thing that uh the thing that kept me from doing it for two years was was this idea that it had to be a heavily produced show with segments. I'm like, am I gonna am I gonna play music? I mean, I I guess I had in my head it's got to be like a morning show, mm-hmm. you know. And then it, a certain set of circumstances made it click where I was like, oh no, it doesn't. So uh, yes, I, I will validate that Matt did say like, oh, you should do a podcast, but it, but I was it was something I already wanted to do, right?
1: So, um, something I wanted to ask you in the book, you talk, now I
0: can't wait for the Twitter war. Like, <laughs> Whoa, Matt, you just got called out, I know. man. Well,
1: did you say anything to him after you heard that he had said that?
0: Uh, or did
1: you think it'd be best to just say it here?
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. I just, I just, I just chuckled to it. I, I, I mean, I just, I sort of just laughed at myself. I mean, like Matt, Matt is one of the funniest people I know. He really is one of the funniest people I know. But if he, if he writes a joke and people laugh, he goes, I wrote that. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know I know you did. You know like he, he he but he doesn't need to because he's so fucking talented and funny and uh and and I do you know and he's one of my best friends and and I and I've I've I'm I'm so glad I'm so glad that the world that the world didn't lose Matt to a tech job <laughs> when he should be doing com- you know like when right. he should be writing comedy and being funny and doing comedy like he's it's just I'm I'm very I'm proud of him like like if he were my little brother. Like I'm just I'm just like oh man, you know, 5 years ago he was miserable having, you know, getting yelled at at the genius bar and, you know, and now he's he's a professional comedy person. Yeah. He's a writer and a podcaster and a performer and you know. He was
1: really good on the show. And then now I run into him all the time in the neighborhood.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. live
1: somewhat near each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. He's oh and it's always when he's exercising cuz he, I think he's always exercising. He
0: exercises a lot. I mean the transformation that that guy has gone through um, is really inspiring. It's unbelievably inspiring. Um and he you know like you just see pictures of us throughout each year of doing podcasts <laughs> and you know it's
1: there's and, less of him each time.
0: Yeah. Yeah well yeah. And it's not that and and I don't think it's not that I think someone is a better or worse person because of their weight? But I do, as someone who is a recovering alcoholic, I think if some of those things are symptomatic of unhealthy choices that you're making, to you know, then that's the problem. Like that's the thing to be working on, right? The the whether or not you know, because I was 40 pounds heavier when I was drinking all the time, and it's not that 40 pounds didn't make me better or worse of a person. The choices that I was making that put those on were very bad. And so that's what I had to work on. So it's not that I think Matt is a better person because he's gotten lighter. I just I'm happy that he's making healthier choices mm-hmm. and not doing things that you know that are it's just frankly not healthy for him.
1: That's the perfect way to put it. Thank you. Because when he and I were talking about weight, and when I talk about weight, baked in, I'm always worried that baked into that is this um, implicit judgment about weight, which I don't want to be in there. It's more just about being able to sort of take control of something that you feel like is out of control. It's about making
0: making healthy choices. I mean, like, it doesn't... If you're making healthy choices, then it doesn't, you know... that's That's the most important. If you're making healthy emotional choices, if you're making, you know... Healthy physical choices, and you know, and we all, especially a lot of us in this business, have a tendency to obsess, to be obsessive over things, and yeah. and the, and those are again our control issues. You started to go in a different yes, direction, and I, I, I cut you off. That's okay.
1: I wanted to ask you in the book, um, you talk about your dad having a false polarity and believing that like when something good happens, yes. something bad's going to happen. And mm-hmm. you mentioned that your dad had lost two infant sons. Yes, one um, of them was
0: my brother, and the other was would have been a half brother.
1: And was this before you were born?
0: No, one was before, one was after.
1: What ha- well, so my two. What happened, and what was it like growing up with a dad who must have been experiencing a ton of sadness?
0: Yeah, my dad. Um, so this this idea of this idea of um, there being some. I mean, I think human beings are naturally superstitious, right? Either through religion or through or through this. You know, my dad wasn't a very religious guy. Uh, I think he ended up becoming more of a spiritual person the older he got, but this idea that you know that good things and bad things are interconnected, and well, if something good happens, something bad is going to happen. If this is it, you know, like I think that's just a way of trying to under to understand the world and control it, mm-hmm. and and not get blindsided by things. But the truth is those th- those things aren't connected. The universe isn't plotting against you. You're not. I mean, you
1: don't matter that much. Well, yeah, I mean, like with that.
0: <laughs> It's like you matter, but you don't matter so much to the universe that it's going to go out of its way to teach you a lesson. <laughs> right. You know, like that's not – it just doesn't – the universe is too vast to give a fuck. I mean, it's like it's—it's like if there was an ant in your backyard and then, you know, it rained and then the ants were like, we have displeased the masters and the structure <laughs> behind us. Like, well, it just fucking rained, you know? Like it just – I don't know. I don't know what to say. but But it's very easy to – to start to make those connections because we're afraid and we don't understand, and, and it, we
1: want to prevent future pain.
0: We want to prevent future pain, and you know, most of the things you worry about don't manifest. And I think people get a, I think people get into patterns where they think they have to worry, or I don't know, whatever. It just we we get stuck in patterns, and so my dad, um, the first son that he lost was the my the, his previous wife to my mom, and I believe. It was uh, just a crib death. That not j- just, but I mean, like it wasn't. It wasn't anything. <laughs> right. The, the child wasn't ill. Uh, it wasn't. You know. A, oh, it, he ran into the street. It was just. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. Is
1: that SIDS sudden infant death
0: syndrome. I believe it was. And I and I don't know exactly what the details were. I always feel like my understanding of it was that he was crying in the middle of the night and he was on his back and he choked her. I don't know what it was but it was something along my dad was on the my dad was on tour at the time mm-hmm. when it happened oh. so he wasn't even there when it happened and um and then my mom about a year or so after I was born had another child and then he was born premature he was born he was born prematurely and by t- with today's science that he would have been fine mm-hmm. But in the science of 1972 or three, he was not fine. Right. So he lived for a couple of days and then. Um, and so you know, my dad. It was a different time. People weren't very therapy savvy back then. It was just a lot of like, just fucking deal with it. You know, like figure it out. And so you know, my dad and we have a history of alcoholism in our, in our bloodline, and he just drank a lot. And he had, went through severe depression, and it, it affected his career, and he couldn't. He had to retire at a young age because he just couldn't refocus and he was super fucked up. And, um, you know, uh, it was – he went through a lot of shit and he had a bad relationship with his dad and therefore a not great relationship with that side of the family. And and so he – you know, it, it just – he went through a lot of stuff, went through a lot of stuff and and he did the best he could and as he got older, he – Got you know got some wisdom and he got he learned to embrace positivity and he got over a lot of stuff and our relationship became really amazing and so
1: was it not great when you were younger?
0: It's not that it wasn't great. He was a he was he was a good guy, a very a very honest guy, a very good guy. But it's just that he was so locked in his own thing. You know, I I the first for the first part of my life, I was definitely more of my mother's son mm-hmm. than my dad's. And it wasn't until, you know, he was in his 50s probably that we started, that we had a really solid relationship and started really, um, uh, really connecting and, you know, and, and talking on the phone all the time. But, uh, it, yeah, so it's like it wasn't that it was a bad relationship. It just wasn't great mm-hmm. for the first, you know, chunk of my life because he was trying to sort out his own stuff.
1: Do you want to have kids?
0: Um, I haven't. I mean, not...
1: Haven't I, had them or haven't wanted to? I haven't
0: wanted to. But a lot of that also has to do with the fact that, you know, that 10 years that I spent inside a beer bottle, <laughs> uh, it. I kind of feel like I got a late start. Like, I, you know, even though I'd wanted to do stand-up my whole life, I didn't start till I was 26. Um, you know, I didn't quit drinking till I was 31. It took me a couple of years to start getting a handle on what it meant to be sober. And then I started refocusing on my career. And so I took the energy that I would have had selfishly. I took the energy to building a life and a career that I wanted. And I guess I always felt like bringing a child into that equation, I wasn't ready to give up on the stuff that I wanted to do to give the amount of attention that a tiny being deserved uh and so i am definitely open to the idea but it's not something that i have rushed to um just because you know a lot of my energy goes there and i you know when you have a kid you should you should throw most of your life into your kids and i just i just didn't i I felt like i was being i felt maybe i'm wrong but i felt like i was being responsible not just having a kid to have a kid which i feel like where i'm from in the south a lot of people just do Mm -hmm. and for some people it's fine like they just you know but I just – seemed- I had other things that I wanted to do before I was ready to be emotionally ready to do that.
1: Yeah. What I was going to say is it seems somehow like it works out for people when they do that. But I also am on the the trajectory of like wanting to do it when the time is right.
0: Mm-hmm. There may never be that – I mean like there may not be that time where you go, ding, here we go. You know, maybe for some people. But I, But I do feel like it's such a – it is a very natural thing obviously and it's how we have survived all these years of just people having kids but when you haven't done it yet it is the, probably the most foreign thing that you've ever ever experienced
1: are you worried that is is the concern that you wouldn't be able to devote the time to the kid that the kid needs or that you would experience a lessening of your your drive and your ambition
0: um i think both actually i think i think both and um i, I think you know, I think more people should practice bringing children into the world when they are when they are ready to make the commitment to be a good parent, as opposed to just like, ah, eh, fuck it, I'll just have kids because unprotected sex feels great, and I'll just figure it out later. <laughs> yeah, they're kids; they practically raise themselves. Like, well, they don't, and you need to be a good parent. Yeah. And there's, you know, it's. it's I know sometimes things happen, and you know that you didn't plan on, and and I've, but it, I still think that's, you know, it is – you, you you cannot take the responsibility lightly. and And so I wouldn't – I just didn't – I hadn't wanted to do it because I wanted to make sure that I was ready to undertake the responsibility. And thank fuck that I didn't do it in my 20s because I was just a disaster.
1: <laughs> Here are some questions that came in from Twitter. Mona P wants to know, are you a cat or a dog person?
0: I'm a dog person, but – my girlfriend has a cat that I actually really like a lot. The cat, cat kind of acts like a dog. Mm-hmm. It's a big, giant black Egyptian cat, and he's he's pretty rad. Except for the other morning when we got back from our trip, and uh, I was definitely not back on our schedule yet, and he uh, jumped on my face uh, in the in early.
1: Not... Well, that's cute-ish. Yeah. All right. I am stoked. Says where would you like to see Nerdist Industries in five years?
0: Um. Well. uh I, I kind of like where we're headed. I mean, I, I don't, I don't prefer one platform over, over another necessarily. I like making digital content, but I also still like, you know, like I started in traditional media, and I like making traditional media. So I think it's just, um, I, I like to think of us as as a company that could surprise people and and. and and do things that they wouldn't necessarily expect. Like we're starting to get into scripted television now. So people were like, Oh wow, you're doing a scripted television show. That's, that's very neat that you guys are doing. So more, more of that. I mean, I I think there are a lot of different types of shows that I want to do. Like scripted shows, unscripted shows, host driven shows, pop culture shows, news shows, Mm -hmm. um, tied all into the web content that we're making and, you know, and potentially film. Like it's all, it's all part of the same machine, but just uh, express in different ways that are appropriate for each plat- platform. I just want to – I mean I think the thing is I, I just like what I do and I like being around – I like making stuff that's fun and I just want to keep doing more of that. I, I don't know. It's, it's sort of a vague – but I really want Nerdist to be this sort of self-contained bubble that doesn't rely – it's sort of like being a podcaster or a stand-up. It's like you can just do it mm-hmm. and I don't like relying on other people to be able to do the thing that I like. So if we can build this bubble that – you know where we create every we can create everything and market everything ourselves and do the writing and the production and the and, and the distribution like that's that's exciting to me because then we can just right you're not st- depending on you're anyone. not depending on anybody yeah
1: um Sean Sakame says I know Sean he says, future overlord Hardwick, do you ever see yourself getting involved in politics
0: no I, I really don't like politics. I don't like politics, you know my my it, it's politics makes my stomach hurt because like i when I entered college, I was a math major, and to me, politics is the very opposite of math, and I know that there are some things that are very clearly yes no issues there are things that I've you know like oh well of course you know anyone should be allowed to get married that they want you know, like that like I feel very strongly about that, that right but then but the the way that we the way that we get information always feels tainted on on any on any from any party and i feel like it's everything is so gray and it's not mathematical that it upsets me that someone can <laughs> tell you one thing and go well i mean this and this and this and you go oh wow well that sounds terrible no of course i you know and then someone else goes oh yeah but then this and this and this oh fuck yeah Oh, yeah, well, that and you never know – you don't know if the information you're getting is bullshit or not. It's, right. it's difficult to know what – if what you're being fed is true, what people's intentions are. You know, it, p- p- politicians are ne- – of course, they're – and I think politicians in general are crazy people. Like it's a – politics is a crazy thing to go into and to want to be a leader of a bunch of – I don't know. It just feels like – it just feels weird and icky and and so it's uh, – I don't think, and I, and I do think even the good people who go in thinking like, I want to go into politics and make a real change. I feel like America is such a big country and there's so many constituents and so many different people want so many different things. And there's so many giant bureaucratic mechanisms in place that it's just like, that it's, you know, it, it's like fucking, it's like buying a battleship to just take a trip to the convenience store. Like, <laughs> oh, we got to turn this. It's so many, <laughs> like the whole thing of it is just so large and daunting and, and 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 false that it it, it I really it, politics it just gives politics gives me hives so that's a no yeah
1: and then finally Paul says and I don't understand this one but um, I trust you will Nerdist has tendrils all over what's the next move horizontal or vertical expansion
0: mm, well I think uh, Paul just means that you know because we make podcasts and have a
1: Oh, I thought this was some like nerdy reference that I didn't get.
0: Well, I think it's I think it's I think he's using nerdy reference points, nerding biological right. reference points to express the idea that like like I think what he's just saying is like, would you guys ever want to make film? Would you right. guys ever want to? I mean, yes, we're expanding a lot of different areas, and you know, like people wanted us to do merch for a long time, and we didn't have any nerdist stuff to, we we launched a store, and that's been cool, and you know, we're getting into film and we're, and like I said, we're, we have some exciting television products, projects, which are about to get announced. And so there's, there's a lot of different fun things that, that we're doing But for me, it's just about,
1: I thought it was like a role-playing question. No, 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 <laughs> no,
0: no. Would you want to get fucked by a tentacle? No, I, that's not where I was.
1: Right. But I cut you off.
0: You were saying. that I don't want to get, I don't want to get fucked by a tentacle. I want to make that very clear.
1: Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I fear tentacles Well, in yeah, general.
0: I mean, they're, you know, they're. They're slimy and invasive.
1: Yes. All right. Let's do just me or everyone.
2: I All right. So
1: I think it's
0: nice that he brought the piano, the keyboard in here to play that song and then left. That was Trap Dog, right?
1: Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank we- you, Trap Dog. He lives here, actually, in Ooh. that corner. Yeah. Um this is where people write in with things they think or do, and they wonder, is it just me or everyone? And we tell them whether we also do these things. Like,
0: are you afraid you might jump off this building?
1: Exactly. Right. Exactly. Jeremy Vu says, as a kid, I thought the lyrics were, don't go Jason Waterfalls. And I always wondered <laughs> who he was and where he was going.
0: That, oh, that's Jason Waterfalls. His parents invented waterfalls.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, he's heir to the waterfall fortune. <laughs>
1: Um, no, I didn't have that with that particular song, but the golden girls' theme song there's a line if you threw a party blah, 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 like something and the card attached would say, and I always thought it said,' and the heart attack would say, which didn't really make sense except that they were old, so that sort of made sense right. in my mind M- um, mine yeah. was
0: the uh, the eagles, you can't hide your lion eyes, I thought they meant like the <laughs> eyes of a lion. Like a big cat, the lion. You can't hide... You couldn't hide your lion eyes. If you had lion eyes...
1: Right. How could you possibly hide that?
0: People would be, the government, you'd be... You'd be dissected in a heartbeat, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it's... Because why would you have a lion's eyes?
1: Right. I like that. You can't hide them. Have you seen those books? Um, excuse me while I kiss this guy. And It's oh, just right. a yeah, compendium of misheard lyrics. Those t- yeah. Okay. Bruised by Dawn says, Pull top soup cans. The enemy of clean clothes everywhere. Just me or Everyone. Um, I don't spend a lot of, I'm not a big, I'm not a huge soup fan. I think I've made that clear, but yeah, any sort of pull top situation will splatter your clothes. First
0: of all, I'm glad you took a stand. Um, and secondly, you don't have to aim it at yourself,
1: but you can't really, can you aim where it's going to go?
0: You spin the can the other direction, hold it over a sink and you pull back toward Uh. yourself. Not, you, you don't, you don't lift it up while aiming.
1: Mind blowing. Yeah. I always just pull towards myself if I have a pull-top
0: No, no, you can pull. It, you're, you're, it is legally allowed to pull away from yourself into a sink.
1: Where do you stand on soup?
0: I, I don't stand on soup. It's a liquid.
1: <laughs> Jen says, nothing cuter than an elderly person walking an elderly dog. I feel like there's something <laughs> melancholy about that.
0: Well, that is a Rorschach test. That's a Rorschach test. All right. Basically. What do you think? I'm, I'm more in your camp because I'm afraid of, you know, I'm afraid of the human condition and mortality and getting older. And, right. You know, Frailty
1: and, and the transience yeah, of so, so it all. You know,
0: you and I are – well, I should say this. I'm probably a selfish asshole. So when I look at that, I go, oh, my God. that's you know, it's so frail and how sad and isolating and, and that person must feel insignificant. And, and the truth of the matter is it could be the happiest – Right. You know, like my dad, when my dad died when he was 72 and was just like, you know, like when I think of myself, I'm like, oh my God, when I'm 70, I don't know what's going So happy, so thankful, so, you know, like we're just... I don't want to. I don't want to be a spoiled dick about it. So I think maybe in those moments when we see those types of things, we could go. But is there another possibility? Right is there a Is there a sunny possibility?
1: But maybe the dog isn't living its life as it wishes.
0: Yeah, yeah. The dog had a great dog, singing too. career, and then decided to, <laughs> you know, yeah. to give it up to get walked around by someone.
1: Are you worried about dying?
0: Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not afraid of death. I'm but I am afraid of dying. I'm afraid of the horrible, potentially horrible you know, my dad was lucky. He just had a heart attack and he was it was did like, like that. So uh but you know, I I, I am afraid of a horrible death. Mm-hmm. The process of a horrible death. But I'm not afraid of not existing anymore.
1: Right. Right. I think probably everyone's afraid of the process of a horrible death. That's like that's up shockingly there.
0: some people aren't. Really? Yeah, I think so. it just everyone's everyone just wired differently, you know. everyone's just
1: those are the people who are afraid of public speaking.
0: Maybe I'm not afraid of that.
1: Yeah, um, but if you had a horror, no, not even going to go there. Val Perkins says, when leaving the room, I hit the light switch on the way out, even when the light is off. No, I don't do that.
0: I don't do that either.
1: I'm Cirque says, sometimes say hello to someone at the exact moment they say it, then wonder if they heard you or if you need to repeat it. Yes, I'm all about these sort of awkward social interactions. Like, I'm the kind of person, and someone wrote in about this one one time, and I was like, yes, I have that too, where if I see someone from far away, I feel like I have to say their name, get their attention, and then say whatever I'm going to say, as opposed to like, like if it was you, like, oh, hey, Chris, how's it going? I feel like you won't have heard the hay part because you'll only turn. Sure. But that's not how it works, actually. Right. Like, it's sort of like um, like our hearing is on a five-second delay or records five seconds before we are register, we're, we're hearing it, you know? You get the whole gist of what someone's saying. <laughs> Fuck. Right. Zach, I know you're on satellite. Yeah, was you're on, on remote. <laughs> that was
0: not, we're on a conference call. <laughs>
1: Everyone
0: talks at once. No, you go.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, no, God. you go. That to me is is cell phone conversations. Yeah. Oftentimes. Um, but anyway, yeah, do you have that thing where if you say hello to someone at the same time, you have like weirdness around that?
0: No, no, I don't think so. I don't think I have that.
1: Okay. I guess you're well adjusted.
0: Yeah. Damien
1: Cordova says, just me or everyone, worst pain there is, banging your shin on something. I mean, it's I there.
0: feel like I could, you know, I'm sure that there are in life some worst it was, I mean, like, you know, when people go, oh, this is the worst, when when people go superlative, they're like, it's the worst thing ever. I, except for an asteroid, cra- except for right. an asteroid full of cancer knocking the world in half. You know, it's like, there's always a worse thing. Right. Shin pain is, is very painful. You know, it's, you know, it's very painful and I'm going to, this, uh, you're going to think I'm a, a huge wiener for okay. sort of thinking in this. Uh. As a dude gets older, you know, he'll get the occasional wiry gray eyebrow. Oh. It is so motherfucking painful to yank an eyebrow out of. Men have a very low tolerance I was going to say,
1: I've yanked eyebrows.
0: But it's like.
1: Are the wiry ones
0: worse? I don't know, but they don't want to leave. Because <laughs> like you can hear them go. Like you can hear them crunch, like being ripped out. <laughs> and it's always like, God damn it
2: oh and then i gotta hold my eye yeah it's to me is a horrible pain i actually have started getting an eyebrow and what's the thing right in the corner of your eye is that your tear duct
1: i feel like i want to say whatever it's that little lacrimal caruncle but i could be wrong
2: you I made think that up it's
0: called an uh a I, vagina v-a-g-e-y-e uh,
2: it's, it's an eye clitoris yeah i have a hair that grows out of it now and it's a oh, new no. thing it's and, called the clite yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I look at it in the mirror, and I go, "Just leave it alone. Just leave it alone." But it drives me crazy that it's there, and then I'll wind up plucking it eventually. Maybe and it's, it's a little always creature. horrible. It's it's so painful, but I keep doing it. Maybe it's a little. Maybe it's a little creature. Ooh, I should let it grow and see how big it gets.
1: See, I'm weirdly jealous of that because that would be like something fun to pluck.
2: Oh, it's so painful.
1: But painful. Joseph Allison says, "Just mirror everyone. The Touch ID on my iPhone works less than half the time. I don't use that."
0: Oh, I do. I I rely on it.
1: And does it work always? One hundred percent of the time it's worked right now. You need to
0: go back in there and uh, and just like re redo your fingerprint over or take your phone back or um, stop being an alien and get some fingerprints. Yeah.
1: Um, James Leroy Wilson says, "Have to cover my feet with blankets so the cat doesn't bite my toes at night." Well, see, I don't have a cat, so I don't have this problem. But and I see, do like to be covered in blankets.
0: I can't not have socks on. Ever. I don't like the feeling of anything on the bottom of my feet. Like it gives me chills. Yeah. So it's, you know, maybe, uh, in a sexual situation, uh, it's not that romantic, but in those types of situations, I will have to keep my socks on, but I'll just try to slyly bury them under just the edge of the sheet. So you can't, you couldn't tell.
1: So you have sex with socks on?
0: I have to. (laughs) It, like, I cannot stand the, the feeling of fabric on the bottom of my feet. Like, I get, it would drive me crazy. Mm-hmm. It's like nails on a chalkboard. It's just like, it's just one of those things. Like, I had a friend who, she, when you were eating, if she saw your teeth bite the fork, she'd be like, just don't do that. Like, it was just, yeah. I don't know what those things are, but it uh, it is. That's
1: one of them for you. Yeah. And lastly, James Leroy Wilson also says, not sure when women wearing glasses went from a turn off to a sexy look. Woman with glasses and a smile is now invincible. It's true. Growing up on TV shows that I would watch, you'd hear men don't make passes at women with glasses. But well, now you know the it's problem. The thing. problem
0: was that, gla- that it's like glasses back then were the equivalent of of like janitors' uniforms or headgear. It's like they just they weren't. There was a period in the seventies and eighties where TV they were just lobe. ugly, and uh, and then they just you know like they've been like nice. I mean, like there are vintage frames that are super cool, right? But then. Uh, you know for a while i don't know yeah i think glasses are i think glasses are great lydia has glasses and she doesn't like wearing them but but i get super turned on whenever she puts them on like oh they're so hot your glasses are really hot
1: well there you go you solved it and then she like i love your socks
0: uh, no one has ever said that
1: <laughs> well chris hardwick thank you so much for being on my show this was super fun i'm glad we got
0: a chance to talk thank you for adopting me as your best friend for an hour and a half
1: it, it, no it lasts it's like president you're always my best friend now. what yeah it's permanent um you guys if you're gonna buy something on amazon which you are because they have everything why not click through the banner on my website allisonrosen.com it doesn't cost you anything extra it does help out the show thank you for your amazon support thank you for your paypal support we have paypal links on the right side of my website allisonrosen.com we have a ringtone available hey hey Hey, go fuck yourself. You need that. Get that by searching Hey, Go Fuck Yourself on your iPhone in the iTunes Store, soon to be available on things that aren't just iPhones. And two special bonus episodes available recorded live at the LA Podcast Festival. First one with Doug Benson and Greg Proops. Next one with Doug Benson, musician Matt Costa, and the former Thursday Gang. And those are $1.99 in the comedy album section of the iTunes Store. Those are also mere moments away from being available on all everything's Everything. In fact, when you hear this, it might already be available. So check my website. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Alison Rosen. Follow the show's Twitter feed at ARIYMBF. Email us, ARIYMBFshow at com. Chris, we're, uh, plug everything you want to plug. Um, Nerdist,
0: uh, dot com. Nerdist podcast. Nerdist.com. Um, Nerdist.com. podcast. At midnight. Comedy Central. Monday through Thursday at midnight. Talking Dead will be coming back in the fall at some point, And uh and then live
2: live tour dates at funcomfortabletour.com. dot com.
1: All right, and Jeff, where should we go for you?
2: You can listen to my podcast Barracuda Radio. Which God bless Matt Myra. I love him, but he didn't in- invent my podcast either. <laughs> New episode with an interview an interview with Chris Manley, the director of. Matt.
0: I hope Man- that's not misconstrued when I said that people that Matt, you know, you
1: came on here and you trashed him. No, I think that's what everyone's going to walk away. I certainly, from this I certainly
0: with. hope not. I, I, I adore you, Matt Myra. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, I wish
1: you didn't lie, but.
0: No, I can see you're adding that part because you clarified that it wasn't what I thought it was. So it's, right. all, it's all fine. It's all good.
1: I don't feel good about it.
0: How can we make you feel better? I feel fine. All right, well, that was easy.
1: <laughs> Sometimes it's just about being heard.
0: Sometimes you just got to pluck that eye, a hair out of your <laughs> tear duct.
1: <laughs> exactly. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love you. Goodbye.
2: Hey, dude.